once again showing his versatility. I think we have five number ones. Everything's coming up Millhouse. Put $22 million for Brian Dobak. Give me a break. And, and, and Redmond has been thrown out of the ballgame. NFL tight end, you know, those playing years are dog years. Maybe it's adamantium. Maybe it's vibranium. Maybe it's maybe it's something really cool I don't even know about yet. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the 300s Podcast. My name is Red, and as always, I will be your host. Joining me today is Big Z. How goes it out there? I am doing a lot better than our friends in Foxborough, suffice to say. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of drama going on. I don't really know what to make of that. Yeah, I know we were talking last week. We thought it was another Patriots offseason ho-hum going along. Everything was starting to fall in line. And I would say in the last seven days, this has been about the worst week I've seen out of this organization, the New England Patriots, than I've seen in years, maybe more than a decade. So with all that being said, because you're definitely dead on with that, today's going to be an all-Patriots episode as you know, it really seems like our favorite dynasty is seemingly in the news every other day, and they've kind of become a constant source of drama and gossip this offseason, which is really the antithesis of, of what the team has been for the past 18 years. And that's what allowed the team to be so successful. There was no BS. You know, they just went about their business. They didn't let those outside factors really affect them one way or another, and it seems like reality has caught up with this dynasty, with this regime. Yeah, I mean, it makes you think, is it one of those things where, is it just, it's been so long that this was bound to happen sooner or later, or is this people changing? Because the one one of the things I hear the most uh, when fans and even media members are discussing it really is, Belichick hasn't changed. Belichick's been the same. You can say he's cold, you can say he's an asshole, you can say maybe you don't want to play for him, but the guy has not changed. He's been the same way for probably 40 years, whereas Brady has kind of swallowed his pride he's he's done what he needs to do he let he let Belichick and the coaches get on him even though he's the best player on the team he let them do that because he knew it was for the better of the team you know if if Belichick can can get on Tom Brady's ass then obviously the last guy on the roster he has to you know work 10 times as hard so is it is it just kind of over time this is expected to happen or is this uh, more of a factor of you know Tom Brady kind of changing a little bit more than than we maybe are used to in the past yeah, I think you're right. I think Brady has certainly changed a little bit more than Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick still probably has a Bud Light every once in a while. We know Tom Brady and his eating habits. That's just one example how he has changed as a person over the last 18 years. And I remember thinking around the time of the Super Bowl, Belichick and Brady, it was like Al Pacino in The Godfather and Hyman Roth, and one thinks the other's going to live forever. They each think they're going to outlast each other. And for a long time, I thought it was going to be Brady who would outlast Belichick, but I don't know about that anymore. And so I'm starting to think that maybe Brady, he sees the finish line coming up, and not that he's trying to cash in and you know grab everything that he can, but again, he sees the finish line is coming up for him soon, and I think he's trying to set himself up for life after football, and maybe that's not really Bill's concern. Yeah, you make a good point there because in the past I would it was kind of a toss up because you don't know what Belichick's contract situation is. So is he going to be done in a year? Does he have a wink wink with Kraft, or is it something that's just going to be he's going to coach till he's you know Joe Paterno till he's till he dies? But uh, with Tom Brady, guys in his forties now, kind of looking at him, you'd say, all right, well he's getting older. He's got to be done soon, and then he goes and wins the MVP. But with the you know the addition of TB12 into his arsenal, like you said, he's really trying to set himself up for something after his his playing days. So that could make him expedite his his retirement. Even as much as he says, 
I can play into my mid forties or, or older just because of how much how 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 much how much better he takes care of his body. But is that something that maybe he wants to wrap it up a little bit sooner, especially with all the bullshit going on? Hey, I can get into my, my business, I can franchise this, I can be the next Tony Robbins. Yeah, and so, you know, I after the Super Bowl, I thought that Brady was more like Michael Corleone. You think the old man thinks he's gonna live forever. Belichick thinks he's gonna coach forever. And Brady thought he had the upper hand. Well, now I think it's the other way around. I think Belichick is Michael Corleone. He says, the old man Brady thinks he's going to play forever, but he's not. I'm going to be the one left standing. And it's probably for what you said. Brady's getting a little tired of the act. And, he, you know, the better the end of his career is, the better his post-career, his post-playing career business is for the next 40 years or however long. Yeah, because it seems like for the longest time, at least the last few years, both Brady and Belichick were really just trying to uh, stay on top the longest just to spite each other. Brady says, oh, you think I can't play into my 40s? You draft Jimmy Garoppolo? Well, fuck you. I'm going to win the MVP. And then I think with Belichick, obviously super competitive guy, super, uh, you know, (laughs) bitter in some cases. I think I still won't mention the name of the Jets in press conferences. Looking at this situation as it is now, you forced me to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. He was my next guy. He looks like he's going to be a stud, which, you know, remains to be seen. But Belichick might be saying, well, fuck you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to outlast you. I'm going to bring this team back to prominence after you retire. And I think that's been one of the biggest motivations for Belichick, even if he's never said it is. He wants to win without Tom Brady just to show that, that he, he doesn't need him. And I think Belichick has the benefit of he can, he can last another 10, 15 years. Tom Brady can't. Yeah, I mean, have these guys turned into frenemies before our eyes? And I'll tell you, the only thing or the thing I'm most afraid of as a Patriots fan I don't need a Thomas Jefferson, John Adams situation. Jefferson, Adams, they both died the same day, July 4th, 1826. These two guys cannot retire at the same time. That would be a disaster. And I think that's where Kraft comes in. I think he, obviously it's reports, you never really know what happens, but I I think he's come in 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 certain situations and said, you know, we even heard just the other day, Tom Brady threatened to retire because there was rumors of, of a Gronkowski trade happening. I think Kraft has been a good mediary and just kind of massage both sides where you know with a lot of teams you might look at it and say well, what's the one really doing besides writing the checks i think Kraft has been great at that especially with his reputation as he he saved the nfl a couple years ago when they were about to go into a lockout he saved the tv deal a couple years back so i feel like he's he's a good uh, middle guy to kind of make sure both sides are getting a little bit of what they need because yeah you, they cannot retire at the same time if one retires then it gives you kind of the other side a couple years leeway but that would be that would be a disaster if they both went at the same time. That would be pulling up the rug and leaving town with no furniture left. And I don't think either one is as as pissy as people think Belichick is, as spiteful as probably a lot of Jets fans think he is. I think he does want to leave the team in a good situation, and even not even just because he's a good guy. I think one for legacy, but two because his sons are on the staff. If he yeah. leaves the team as a you know cratering shithole, and then he retires, and the team goes two and fourteen, well, guess what? Steve Belichick doesn't have a job next year. Yeah, they'll wipe out that whole staff not too much later. Yeah, but yeah, so there's definitely some pride in there. You don't want to leave the house burning down as you walk out the door. Not like he's gonna. I know that there was talk a couple of months ago that he was gonna be the Giants GM in a year, things like that. I don't think he has a next job, but I think after he hangs up the whistle, I think he's going to be a red hourback type. And you can't be a red hourback type if you burn the house down and piss on the ashes on the way out. 
Yeah, I don't. When I heard he was rumored to be the the Giants GM job, I mean, obviously that was just kind of New York Post speculation. I laughed at that because the guy's had a whistle in his hand for fifty years. I do not see him as a GM type. I think he's going to pull a Joe Paterno. You know, aside from all the other negative shit that was going on down there, I think he's going to coach till he's ninety. I think he's going to coach until he's on death's doorstep. So I can't see him going upstairs. I think he just he needs the control in every aspect of it. You mentioned the New York Post just floating stories out there like Belichick becoming the GM of the Giants. How about that crazy Friday with those Gronk trade rumors? That was insane. So I had left work uh, early in the afternoon. I was driving down to uh, Southern Mass for a concert. So I was in the car kind of like hearing this in real time, and I'm getting updates, I'm getting texts, I'm, I'm getting tweets from people just saying, okay, so now there's a guy on Reddit reporting this. And I'm like, why are we reporting Reddit news? And then there was a... Tim Kirkjian's brother, who apparently is a person reporting on things coming out of the woodworks. <laughs> so there was a lot of shit going on where uh, I don't tend to believe either one of those things individually, but with all those things coming out at once, it's just, you know, when there's smoke, there's fire. And I was in a similar position to you on Friday. I was in a lot of meetings all day, so I hadn't really heard the news until you texted me. I think it was El Prez, Dave Portnoy's tweet. Oh, yeah, Portnoy started all this shit. And so my initial response to you was, is this Portnoy trying to play, you know, haha, look at me? Because he even said in the tweet, if I'm right, I want credit. If I'm wrong, don't come, don't come looking for me. So I read that initially, and I kind of thought, hmm, is Portnoy messing with people? Because I think we're all kind of sick of this mindless speculation where it's more important to be first than accurate. Mm. But then I heard that Vegas took the Patriots off the board. Vegas does not fuck around. The yeah, wise was, guys know. That was when I definitely started to get actually nervous because Portnoy can say whatever. You know, Tim Kirkjian's unnamed brother can say whatever. But when Vegas starts reacting, you know something's going on because Vegas is always right. Vegas never loses. Yeah, Vegas was not founded or built on winners. So with that being said, there's been a lot of shit going on. The Patriots have been drama story after drama story after drama story. And that's before we even get into the latest one. So Julian Edelman tested positive, allegedly, for PEDs the other day and is facing a four-game suspension. And he's Ed, Julian Edelman is now appealing that this, that decision. Edelman released the usual, I don't know what happened, defense, which is about the equivalent of George Costanza saying, I didn't know I couldn't do that. <laughs> so Julian Edelman came out and said, I don't know what happened. I don't know what, you know, I was trying to get back. He obviously blew his knee out last year, so he's trying to rush back. I made the parallel in a blog last week to... The most similar situation I could think of was Rodney Harrison. There's a guy in his 30s getting towards the end of his career, has a serious knee injury, and they're just trying to get back as soon as possible. And maybe it's HGH, maybe it's something else. And I totally understand it. So that was kind of the closest parallel. However, and this was today, which is uh, June 11th, Burt Breer reported that the NFL apparently doesn't know what exactly it is Edelman tested positive for. So it's some mystery substance. I don't know how you can actually suspend the guy if you're not exactly sure what he's testing positive for. It's just a weird situation. Yeah, it's, it sounds like the Supreme Court. What's pornography? I don't know, but I know it when I see it. What, what <laughs> PED did Edelman do? I don't know, but I know it when I see it. I mean, it, it's kind of murky. Yeah, and not to be the paranoid Patriots, Patriots, Patriots fan, Patriots fan, but you have situations like Peyton Manning. There was, and I, again, I, I'm referencing Jerry Thornton because he's been doing God's work. There was an undercover video of a guy working in that clinic in Indianapolis saying he is providing HGH to Manning. 
And then there's all the stories of Manning sending goons and the guy's changing his story. And why is Manning's wife getting HGH from some fucking strip mall and some downtown Indianapolis dump? And NFL says, oh, no, we nothing to see here. And then Edelman uh, reportedly tests positive for a substance that the NFL for two months now doesn't even know what it is, yet it still gets leaked. He's going to get suspended. It's just you, you can't win. Yeah, apparently Marty McFly gave it to him out at the Lone Pine Mall. It's from the future, so we don't know what it is yet, but we know something's up because he wears Flying Elvis on his helmet. <laughs> yeah, looking at it, they don't know what it is. They're trying to figure it out, and I'm trying to think, what exactly did he, pass, did he test positive for? Maybe it's adamantium? Maybe it's vibranium? Maybe it's, maybe it's something really cool I don't even know about yet. So, yeah, I mean... I, I know that it has come out a couple of times this week that some players have appealed, and it's rare, but sometimes a player will win an appeal. I am of the mindset, you're not going to win the appeal, move on. But if this is true, that he has tested positive, and they don't know what he's tested positive for, they can't name the substance, you know, maybe he has a leg to stand on, who knows. But um, I'm usually not one to play the appeal game. Yeah, because I, I know... You don't hear about it, I guess. If if a guy tests positive and appeals it and wins, you're supposed to never have heard about it. But in today's day and age, that who who the hell knows if, if that's actually going to happen? But the most recent example was either last year or a couple years ago. The same exact thing happened to Richard Sherman. He it was a leaked re- uh, positive test that was reported for Sherman, and he he challenged it and he ended up winning. I, I don't know the exact circumstances, but it has happened before, and that's just with who knows what he may or may not have tested positive for. But with something like this, they don't know what it is yet. It's been two months, apparently, according to Burt Breer. So how can you, one, flag a test as testing positive and then leak that, report it, and have the guy already suspended if you don't know what it is? Like, if it's something new, then that would be something you would have to, at the very least, I would think, you know, talk to the the NFLPA and say, hey, this is something new that we've discovered. We know it's not on the list. It's not on the list yet. But it is going to be soon. So tell your guys, we're going to test for it soon. We can't suspend them now because it wasn't on the list prior. But this is the next thing we're going, to, we're going to test for in the near future. I mean, that feels like the only reasonable way to do it. But obviously, the NFL is far from reasonable. Yeah, the NFL has so many other issues that are going on right now. It's got a lot on its plate. But yeah, this is just, you know, it makes you wonder who would have released or leaked this information because... It doesn't make the Patriots look good, but it doesn't make the league look much better. They're testing guys, and they're going to start popping guys for stuff they can't name, stuff they can't identify. I mean, it, the league, it seems like it's run out of control by a dictator sometimes, and this doesn't help it. Yeah, if, if you're a fan of any other team, and I, it's, more teams are starting to, to realize it and starting to see it, because as, first, as Patriots fans— you know, we we piss and moan about getting screwed by the league. Obviously, we've we've won five titles. We've been to eight Super Bowls. We were in it last year, but we've still been screwed on Deflategate. I still think we got screwed on Spygate. There's a lot of these things we just. I feel like you know we're we're being made example out of, but the rest of the league's gonna say stop complaining, stop crying. You got what you deserved. Stop screwing around. But then you're seeing teams like the Redskins. I think it was the Redskins. The R words. They had the uh, the salary cap issue that they got fined for i think the cowboys had the same thing and jerry jones was pissed about that obviously jerry jones was pissed about to the league about the way the ezekiel elliott suspension was handled so a lot more of these teams are starting to realize oh if, if we even do 
60 in a 55, we're going to get the death penalty. So that's something I think more teams are starting to realize, which is why uh, Jerry Jones almost went nuclear last last offseason. Jerry Jones carrying on the torch of Al Davis from beyond the grave. He threatened to blow up Goodell's extension. So it's, it's exciting for me as a Patriots fan because I want to see chaos not caused by us. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100%. And, you know, it seemed like the owners, they let Jerry have his moment and kind of cause a ruckus and threaten Goodell's extension. But, you know, in the end, the owners kind of stuck together. And, you know, Jerry realized he was fighting a losing battle. He was just up there getting his 15 minutes in on Goodell. Because at first I'm watching that and I go, I wish Kraft had fought like that for Tom. Yeah, it reminds me of that old Family Guy bit where they're talking about Ronald Reagan. They say, ah, oh, just let him tire himself out. He's all pissy. And they just pan over, and it's just Reagan smash, and he's just punching the side of a Burger King wall. Yeah, I mean, Jerry Jones, he got it out of him at least, but I think maybe he had some allies in that owner's room who took out the hook who said, all right, Jerry, now you're getting to the point where you're saying things that you won't be able to take back, so... Wrap yeah. it up. And that's the thing with the owners. They're they're going to go where the money is, and especially they're going to go where the majority is. Jerry Jones could be 100% right, but if there's six power brokers in the league that say we disagree because the money is going to go with the way Goodell goes, especially how much TV has grown and over the past decade he's been there, then obviously the rest of the league, they're going to they're gonna side with the, the majority. So even if you're, you're completely right, you're not going to win. So I think that's what Kraft realized, and I think Patriots fans that – that hold a grudge against crap because, oh, he backed down. He, he left Tom out to dry. You guys are morons. Now, as a fellow journalism degree holder, whether or not you think it's biased, we all knew people would make the connection from Edelman's PED story to Alex Guerrero and TB12. Now, that may or may not be responsible. It's definitely not objective reporting, but... Alex Guerrero has a shady past. The guy's hawked some shit. He's hawked uh, cancer cures. He's hawked concussion waters. The guy's been investigated more times than you can count. Um, he's claimed to be a doctor when he's really not. His degree is from in, in Chinese medicine from some university that is non-existent anymore. Shout out Mount Ida. Mount Ida. Um, so I don't know. How do you think this affects that business and really the perception of TB12 and the way Guerrero has already been seen in the public now with his shitty past i don't think it should reflect negatively on guerrero and i don't think it should reflect negatively on tb12 and i've got a couple of reasons why when the tb12 method came out about a year and a half ago there were some excerpts of that book in the globe and it went down some of brady's diet just talking about all the water talking about the smoothies with blueberries bananas seeds nuts you know, a lunch, a piece of fish, or eating fruits alone. Um, The guy doesn't even drink tea or coffee. He might have a cup of bone broth, rarely drinks alcohol. So I think about Tom Brady that way. I think about him being a health nut. And then I think of that Tommy Curran piece on Guerrero back in October of 2015, which says, or Curran said at the time, the Guerrero I've come to know is not some sinister figure working in the shadows with a bunch of test tubes and beakers around him. He's a physical therapist, massage guy, who, and I admittedly don't have a massive amount of experience, is really good at fixing stuff that hurts and preventing stuff from needing fixing. That was Tommy Curran back in October 2015. 
because he went down there, you know, sore hip flexor, wanted to have some guy check it out. The reason I point that out, when I think of Brady, I think of a health nut. I think he walks into a Whole Foods and he won't even eat everything in there because not everything in there is up to his standards. When I think of Guerrero and what he's been doing for Brady, I think of those massages, physical therapy, resistant bands. These do not look like two knuckleheads you'd run into at LA Fitness with a jug of protein and a syringe in the other hand in the locker room. It just, I don't know, steroids, I, I'm not willing to make that jump. It just, to me, on the outside, it doesn't look like it fits their brand. Now, of course, they've perfectly crafted their brand publicly, but again, um, I think Julian Edelman's situation puts him a lot closer to that knucklehead in an L.A. fitness locker room, metaphorically speaking, than it would put him closer to Brady and Guerrero. Yeah, and to that point, if you're the media, you can't have it both ways. You can't just absolutely roast Tom Brady and the TB12 method and his book and his whole way of life because he drinks tons of water and he is pliable and he stretches and he you know he doesn't eat tomatoes because they have nightshades or some shit in it. You can't destroy him for all these little things that he's doing and just say, this is absurd, this is overboard, this is unnecessary, and then when something from the complete opposite spectrum of things says, oh, a guy's doing PEDs, this might link back to TB12. I mean, it's hard to make that connection. It's like he's doing all these things. He's telling you what he's doing. And then unless it's complete total fabrication to say, no, TB12 is just pumping guys full of steroids. I don't know, man. That That's – as a journalist, you can't make that connection. But in the day and age we're in, you know people are going to make it. So that's why Guerrero came out and said – he really just denied it and like, like an hour afterwards after uh, – Edelman's story had broken, and people were giving Guerrero shit for that. And to that, I say, well, of course, people are already going to accuse him of it, so he might as well get in front of it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, two years ago, or a year and a half ago, when Brady's book was coming out, they made fun of the guy for eating like Mr. Rogers. Now, all of a sudden, Edelman gets popped for something. We literally don't even know what it is. Now, Edelman gets popped for something 18 months later, and all of a sudden, he's Barry Bonds. You're right. It It is a jump. And you know, back to my last analogy, I don't have any insight info. I'm not trying to be specific here about anything. I didn't see anyone at an LA Fitness. But again, I look at Brady. I look at Guerrero. I see some health gurus. I don't really see the bro science there. And I think what happened to Edelman, if I had to guess, would probably be closer to that bro science. But one thing I really did like that came out of this, I mentioned Tommy Curran's article a little media on media crime. I always like seeing that. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that uh, over the last couple of nights, and I mean, there's nothing better than media on media crime. And these two guys are—they kind of, they, they definitely butt heads. And I saw one of the things that Shaughnessy kind of trying to throw some shade at Tommy Curran was, or I, I guess I should say, vice versa, is they're not covering the specific team. So. Tommy Curran saying, well, Shaughnessy's not a Patriots guy, but then Shaughnessy coming back and saying, yeah, you're a client of TB12. So a lot of barbs being thrown back and forth. And they were sitting right next to each other doing a segment on TV. And it, it continued on Twitter. I think it was, let's see, I believe it was Saturday night, maybe. Uh, Shaughnessy tweeted out, Curran is Edelman's business partner. If he did write a book with Edelman, that's fair. Curran is Edelman's business partner at a book deal. He is a client of Alex Guerrero. I think that's a little strong. He, he's visited him. He's paid for his services. And then Shaughnessy continues, reports on both. Like most in sports media, he, is a, he has opinions about teams he never covers in person, C's, B's, socks, and here he lectures us on journalism. Now, 
Tommy Curran had a response, and he didn't say this in his response. I would respond, I wouldn't know what it's like to write about a team whose owner pays me. <laughs> yeah, that would be the, uh, the mic drop right there. Do you think that Francona book would have come out had, Tom, had John Henry owned the Boston Globe a couple of years sooner? Yeah, you don't want to associate that. I mean, anything that comes out of that newspaper now, whether it's fair or not, you think about that. You say, well, has John Henry or his wife given this the go-ahead? And if so, it's like just having that over your head, like you're already polluted. It's like I don't know what to believe coming out of there anymore. And so John Henry's got so much money. Is he, is he reading the newspaper every night before it comes out with a line-item veto where he can just check things off? I'm going to guess probably not. He's got better things to do. But if you're going to lecture on journalism and you write for a paper that is owned by the same guy that owns the team, you know, I don't know how it is to live in that glass house, but I guess Shaughnessy doesn't have any problems. Yeah, I mean, obviously Shanks has no problem throwing those, those, those barbs out there. And to go back to John Henry, it's not like he's there reading everything, reading the layout before it goes to the printing press. That's not how it's going to work. But, you know, working in marketing, it's literally having for your brand, you have brand guidelines. Here's what we talk about. Here's what we don't talk about. And I'm sure there are some kind of guidelines. There's some third rail in there. You at least have to get approval before certain things go public. So whether it's fair or not, he owns the fucking papers and he owns the team. So that's going to be a question people are going to ask. Yeah, and then one of Curran's responses on Twitter, ain't no reporting like firsthand reporting. Wrote this first-person account on Guerrero in 2015, so if you think you were breaking news on me being a client, you're late. And, of course, that's what I was quoting from just a moment ago. But on this instance, in this scenario, I kind of got a side with Curran here. I mean, yeah, like Alex Guerrero is this guru that comes in and no one really knows much about him. Hey, my hip hurts. Let's see what he can do for me. I, you know... I give it to Curran there. I kind of like that entrepreneurial spirit, that firsthand reporting. I, you know, I don't know if Guerrero takes insurance or if that's all under the table, things like that. But hey, good for him. Yeah, because I understand both sides. Obviously, Shaughnessy is saying you're you're basically corrupted on this story. It's like you've worked with Guerrero, quote unquote, a client, which, he, like you said, that's a stretch. You worked on Edelman with his book, but he wasn't really defending Edelman. He was more so defending Guerrero. So that's a whole different Correct. story. Um, but yeah, to say he's a client, I, I think really, as far as I know, who knows, as far as I know, Curran went and he did that story and he worked with them for, I don't know, a couple of weeks just to kind of, you know, like an expose. So that's not really the same as being a day-to-day client that's in TB12 stretching out every single day. Or an investor. It's a guy whose hip hurt and there was a guy he wanted more information on who was willing to take a look at his hip. Hey, two birds, one stone. But, you know, not to put this entirely on those two. Nearly everyone in the media is corrupted these days or influenced by someone else. With all these people working for these networks and these organizations that are owned by the teams or have teams' rights deals, I mean, there aren't too many people left in the business that don't have any persuasion one way or another. Yeah, absolutely. And then just to kind of get back to the you know the, the guys inside the actual story, Edelman himself, just I don't know how much you watched of Tom vs. Time, but just to... If people are going to be pinning this on TB12 method and, you know, he's a disciple, that's exactly why this is uh, Al Carrero's pumping him full of whatever. If it was Tom Brady, that would be completely reasonable because it's his brand. He preaches it like it's like you're going to church. 
Whereas mm-hmm. Edelman, I feel like he is kind of part-time. If you watch Tom vs. Time, there's an episode where they're all at the, the ranch in Montana, they're practicing, and Edelman walks in on Tom Brady getting stretched out by Guerrero, and he kind of laughs. He goes, what the fuck are you guys doing? And they're giving Edelman shit because... He likes to get bulky and work out and lift weights. And he says, guys, listen, I just like to lift. It helps me prepare. That's what I do. And I kind of, you know, I like parts of what you do, but I want to do my program as well. That's, that's a great point. He got chastised for doing a bench press. So if Tom Brady is so orthodox in this TB12 method that he won't even sit on a bench press, um, it's hard to figure he would do anything else further off the reservation. Yeah, and like you said, Tom Brady and Alex Guerrero are a lot more calculated, for better or for worse. They, they're not going to screw around. Julian Edelman, love the dude, but he's definitely a bro. So I could see him working out in Venice Beach, working with a, another trainer, and maybe taking something he doesn't know totally what's in it. So uh, I'm not morally judge the guy. And he's had a lot of time guy. on his hands the last 12 months. Yeah, like, I'm not going to morally judge the guy. One, I don't, I don't give a shit because I think if, if you don't think – 90% of the players in the NFL are on something. I think you're crazy. But also, coming back from injury, being in your 30s, being a small guy to begin with, like, what do you expect? I, I don't blame the guy for that. Although, but, I will say, when this news broke, again, I don't. I think it's a stretch to bring Brady into the store, and I think it's unfair. But there was a part of me that was trying to come up with a snide tweet. Oh, now we know why Tom drinks 25 glasses of water a day. Oh, oh, <laughs> makes sense. It's like when you get that job at Sears and you got to flush out all that weed you smoked last weekend. Oh, yeah, drink seven gallons of water. You'll beat the test. I didn't tweet it. I wouldn't tweet it. But the thought crossed my mind. Yeah, and then just to kind of wrap this section up, I mean, it would be criminally negligent for Alex Guerrero and Tom Brady to be signing off on anything even approaching questionable as part of the TB12 method. I mean, doing that would essentially submarine a potential billion dollar business in a second like tom brady wants to franchise this thing i know he's just got the the foxborough location right now but he's going on tour he's going to china he's going to qatar or Qatar, whatever the fuck you want to call it he's doing all these speaking engagements he is preaching this like it's a religion he wants to be tony robbins he wants to be he wants this to be a movement so they're not going to be screwing around trying to help julian edelman come back a little bit quicker by giving him some of the sauce there's no way yeah we talked about just the fact alone that these test results came out or the fact came out that he tested positive for something that was unidentified if they were in on this yeah that would get leaked it would come out i am young enough you know i'm probably the oldest person who is young enough to realize everything i say or do somebody else is going to see it because we videotape everything everyone's got their iphone out um i think they're too smart to get caught on this one so again we're not in there we don't know i don't know but i'm with you i think I think it'd be tough to pin this one on Brady and Guerrero. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's talk about voluntary OTAs. So Gronk and Brady have jetted off again. Now the practice is not mandatory. And to be honest, I'm starting to get a little irritated. They were, Bad look. They, yeah, they skipped, the, the, they skipped all the voluntary workouts. They showed up to what was mandatory, which was less than a week. And then as soon as it's not mandatory, as soon as it's a voluntary OTA... They're off again. It's one thing to be on the other side of the world before everything starts. Like, oh, he's got family obligations or, or Brady's on the other side of the world promoting TB12 or whatever he was doing. But to then come to mandatory, come all the way back to Foxborough, Massachusetts, do the mandatory workouts, and then dip out as soon as that's over, as soon as it's voluntary again, that's just ridiculous, man. 
yeah, it's a bad look. And Tony Maz was saying it last week on 98.5. How could he look Brady in the eye? just so disingenuous when he was talking with the media. I'm not going to go that far. But I thought Brady had a pretty lousy press conference or it just so transparently full of crap. And when they were asking him if he would be there next week, he said, well, we'll see. All right, that's a no. Um, you know, I know it's a lot to ask from the Patriots, and I'd rather the Patriots win the Super Bowl than be Pete Carroll and open and honest about everything. But if they could just bullshit a little less, I'm not asking Brady for his medical charts. I'm not asking Gronk for you know his concussion test results. But if you could just be a little more less obviously full of crap, you know, I think it would go a long way in kind of putting this team back on the right track because I think, you know, it's kind of arrogant when they just lie through their teeth, and I think that's part of the reason they're so disliked outside of the market. So that's that's good. That's a good point. That's that just made me think of something because if they're, this is where I'm a little concerned, and I I think they'll probably be fine, but again, that's just based on how good they've been the last 15, 18 years. Um, but to be skipping these extra, these voluntary workouts, especially when you have so many new guys, you've lost guys, you've guys coming back from injury, and then to not be putting in the extra work that you've been doing every year, year in and year out. That's what made you Tom Brady. That's what made you guys the Patriots, that attention to detail, knowing situational football. That's what makes the Patriots so much better than every team. The margin of error is so small. I mean, the difference between the Browns and the Patriots, it seems gigantic, but it's really little situational things that are just kind of beat into guys over time. Now, this, again, brings up a, a, a segment that I remembered from Tom Burr's time. They, the Patriots lose a game, I forget who it was, to someone in the regular season, and and Brady's bullshit. He's driving home, he's on the phone with Josh McDaniels, and he's he's... It's very insightful because, you know, you get the camera in the back seat, you kind of hear this guy's full conversation, and he's talking like no one's there. And he's saying, oh, we think we're the fucking Patriots. We think we'll just roll the balls out there and we'll win. Well, that's what this is kind of looks like now. Yeah. You and are skipping voluntary. Not- you're, you're skipping voluntary shit just because it's not – you don't have to be there. You think you're going to skip all the extra work and then just roll it out there and then win 14 games? I mean, maybe, but I don't know. Yeah, and this is not like it has been in years past where they're just getting the band back together. Amendola is gone. Uh, Brandon Cook's gone. Julian Edelman up in the air. Rob Gronkowski, he'll be back, but we know his history. So, you know, there's a lot of change there. Who the hell is throwing the, who the, hell is throwing the football this week? Especially with Tom Brady. He is notoriously bad with working in new receivers. Like, look at every new receiver that's come in. And you can count on one hand the guys that have really done well. I mean, Edelman took five years to really work it in to yeah. become an integral part of the offense. The only guys that really kind of jumped in and did well were Amendola was great game one, but then he got hurt. Welker was great. Moss was great. Uh, I mean, you got to go back to like Troy Brown, Dion Branch. Those are David Patton. Those are the only guys he's really excelled with. There's been countless guys, whether it's, you know, Ocho Cinco or. Uh, there's so many guys came in and, and quick because they couldn't learn the playbook. But Tom Brady is notorious for not being able to get on the same page with these receivers. So for this year, you have Jordan Matthews, who I love, obviously being a fancy football guy. He was great on the Eagles. He had a down year last year. He's coming in. Brady's nowhere to be found. Uh, last year, you had Philip Dorsett come in, sucked. You had Kenny, Kenny Britt come in. He didn't do anything. And last, the year before that, you had Michael Floyd didn't do shit. Like, dude, you need to get in there and get the reps of these new guys, not to mention the rookies. Yeah, and with with Brady having a tough time 
linking up with new or young receivers. I'm willing to side with Brady on that one. Brady's the greatest of his generation, doesn't have patience for nonsense. Maybe he, you know, they don't just chuck it down the field the way they do in a lot of other systems or they do in college. But it is on him. If if that shit doesn't fly in New England, it is on him to get in that room with those receivers who are now literally young enough to be his children. He needs to get in there, and he lets them, needs to let them know what the game plan is. Yeah, and that's not to say I don't, I don't think he can't do it. Obviously, the guy won the MVP last year. He's, I he's do too, but you got to put in the work, like we're saying. Yeah, and exactly. If, if receivers if have a tough time getting on your page because you're the greatest of all time, you know that is on them to a degree. But you know you got to show them where the page is. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's like you are the greatest of all time, and partly that's because of the work you put in. That's doing the little stuff that no one else wants to do. That's what you said. I'm willing to give my life. Are you? So. I'm a little concerned. I think they'll probably still be okay. But is this the difference between maybe situational football and the playoffs where one play goes wrong and Jordan Matthews takes a right instead of a left and then you lose the game? Like This is what concerns me, little stuff like that that makes a difference in the final games. Yeah, and over the last 20 years, it has always seemed like that Super Bowl hangover hasn't affected the Patriots. Maybe it's all that water they drink. Who knows? (laughs) But it finally seems like that Super Bowl hangover is starting to catch up with them. I'm not saying they're going to go 6-10 and 10 next year, but I have a harder and harder time believing that they're going to make it back to the Super Bowl. There's just, there's just too many other storylines going on, too many other distractions. And then, you know, if Brady's going to be 41 this year, is he going to be able to bring this team back to the Super Bowl at 42 or 43? Um, you know, we're getting close to the end of the turnpike here, and, you know, I don't know where we go from here. So, again, I don't think they're going to go 6-10. and 10. The division is too weak. They'll probably squeak into the playoffs. But, you know, they look a lot more like a wild card weekend, you know, bad bounce away from getting bounced in the first round. They look a lot closer to that than they do hoisting the trophy again. And I know we've talked about this a lot as we're kind of getting towards the end of this this episode. We've talked a lot about how dynasties and great team runs, they don't, they don't you know, slowly falter off. They just kind of end. And I don't think we're there yet. But with that being said, that's you usually don't see it. It just kind of comes out of left field. But until that final day, until the the day the wall comes down, for all the critics really calling for the end of the dynasty, saying every great team runs, every every great team run ends the same. I got to go back to one of my favorite quotes from Lost. It only ends once. Anything that happens before that, it's just progress. Now I don't know if there's anything else you guys wanted to touch on before we we wrap this up. Any closing thoughts on the Patriots and what has become a page six uh, routine out here? Yeah, it's just it really is surprising. The Patriots had done so well at that the last 18 years, staying out of the newspapers, no drama, no nonsense, no BS, just football. Everyone showed up, nobody spoke out. Um, it just it is really different, and maybe it's just. You know, Brady sees the end coming up. Maybe there's just so many more outlets now, so many other interests converging. I don't know. It seems different. And so, again, I'm not predicting the end of the dynasty. I'm not predicting the sky is going to fall. But um, it doesn't look like the same operation that it was when they were winning Super Bowls. Yeah, and, and a lot of times where there is smoke, there's fire. But as we've seen a lot of times with this team over the years, there's distractions, there's questions, there's people... 
you know, complaining about moves made by the team. And then you look back in January and February and you laugh and you, <laughs> you point and you, you call Shaughnessy a, a moron. So maybe, maybe it'll be one of those situations, but who knows? As a Patriots fan, I hope you're right, but that Seth Wickersham article looking better and better as time goes on. I know. I got to say, Seth Wickersham, he's been pretty spot on a lot of that stuff. But uh, the one thing I do not like is I saw someone, someone tweeted something about Seth Wickersham and they didn't add him. They just said something about Seth Wickersham, and he retweeted it and said, oh, yeah, no, you're right, or he replied to it. It was you know, a compliment to him, and, and this wasn't an at at Seth Wickersham. He had to go in and do a search for his own name. So Seth Wickersham is smelling his own farts over there, and I don't like it. Hey, you know what? I don't like it when people don't at someone. If you're going to say something about something, at them. Be a man, at them. <laughs> well, Wickersham's on the prowl, so it'll probably be uh, Tim Kirkjian's unnamed brother. And uh, Wickersham, if you're listening to this, let us know what you think. All right, I think that's going to do it here. Uh, Thanks for listening to another episode of the 300s Podcast. If you moderately enjoyed what you heard, then do us a favor. Subscribe and leave us a glowing review. All right, guys, we'll see you next time.